to what this one is well I do love seeing that the hammer title card is at the beginning of this film gives me a little warm fuzzy feeling there's probably a thousand films there for you to choose from let's get things a little bit tighter here's one goodnight mummy was the director's previous film and those directors are Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala this is another Christmas based film with yet more kids playing up and these kids, they're not happy. Dad's girlfriend, Grace, played by Riley Keough, she's edged her way into the family setup. We've got a boy called Aiden, we've got a girl called Mia. This is a film that has its protagonist as someone that's recently left a cult. Her name is, as I say, Grace, and she is the only surviving member of that doomsday cult. It's a film that weighs heavily into the tropes of gaslighting and of PTSD. And plus, it has the best soundtrack by Danny Benzi and Saunder Durians. Unfortunately, there is dog trauma. And it is a particularly nasty bit of dog trauma. And yeah, this film, it came out theatrically in 2020. This is The Lodge. So... How would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. I... You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea and it took a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? It's Christ. Everyone committed suicide except for her. Repent and you will find salvation. Guys! Things are very uncomfortable between us and we're stuck in a house together. And this is what the letterboxed synopsis says. You're not welcome here. A soon-to-be stepmum is snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. Just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. I love this one. We've got a chat now with James, and I think James loves this one too. Welcome back to the podcast, James Chapman. He is the creator of the wonderful musical project, Maps. He last appeared on this podcast chatting with us all about the dark, psychedelic dream fest that was come true. 
and I love that you lot really enjoyed that one as well. So of course, I invited him back on. This is myself and James from way back, way back in June this year. As I say, I've been compiling these things all throughout the year just so I can have a little free month, a little free month over Christmas. But for now, let's talk The Lodge. James, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thank you for coming on and talking about it. It's this. a pleasure. I've I've literally been looking forward to this all day. <laughs> like this is seriously, like I, there's nothing I enjoy more than um talking about movies I love and and uh yeah, especially with you, man. Oh, it's, I do. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed last time. Yeah, yeah. I so, did. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into this, you mentioned the other night you saw Goodnight Mummy um, as like a little build up to this one. I did. Yeah. And did I hadn't I hadn't seen it for a few. I, I saw it a few years back. And yeah, it, it's a weird one. I, I kind of, I really love a lot of things about it. But then by the end, I just feel the, the kind of torture, torturing the mother scenes are just a little too much there was other ways but, to get to that ending i think like when- yeah yeah it was i mean yeah i mean but i think i, I mean I, I it's definitely a, a really good film i mean I, I was reading about it actually and that apparently a lot of it was kind of improvised and a lot of the kind of oh, wow. and, and also the little kids i read that the little kids didn't know really what was the movie was about probably for the best yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Right. um so a lot of their kind of innocence and looking like they 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 don't know what's happening is is for real i think because they're they were kind of kept in the dark but you know it's a really good it's a really good film it's just i feel like that it didn't quite all come together for me because i think they they felt a little bit like a cop out it just went a bit too far at the end <laughs> I, th- I think it's one when you're watching it it's good fun, but it you feel a little bit oh okay at the end, you know. Mm. It's, it's like I'll come back to that maybe another time, another another time. But yeah, it's not going to be instantly. Oh, I can't wait to watch that one again. It's not like that. No, no. I think the, I remember there was a lot of kind of hype about it at the time. I remember people kind of saying to me, "Oh, you should watch that." But it's probably because you know this when films are extreme and and have kind of moments of just pure horribleness like people people want you to see it as well so i don't know it's but yeah i i I can't remember what i gave it on letterbox i think maybe three stars yeah i think i was the same yeah i think it's it's decent it's just was one of those that even though i wouldn't say it's forgettable Mm. i'm in no rush to to get back there no but i think i mean without jumping the gun i think it, it it definitely it felt like those directors were almost just perfecting their craft a bit. And I think the film we're going to talk about, I think is a far superior film. I mean, they, they seem to have a, a penchant for psychopathic <laughs> little kids. <laughs> what is going to come next from these people? Yeah, yeah. 
But it, and I, I, and I, the things I did like about Goodnight Mummy was just the fact it, it didn't pull its punches. It kind of went there, and even though I didn't quite go there with it, it was it was a decent film. So yeah, right. we're going to get into the film we're talking about, which is The Lodge, in just a moment. Mm. But as it's Christmas, I've got to ask you, uh, what's your favourite Christmas film? It doesn't have to be horror, but is there something that you just return to each year? Many people have a favourite, but for me, I, I'm not really fussed by it. What about yourself? No, I was, I was trying to, I was trying to think of one because I didn't want to disappoint you. And I also watched a lot of Christmas films like all around the year. I don't kind of get into that. We need to watch a Christmas film because it's Christmas idea. Yeah. Um, but I did have a thing. I think, um, I mean, I just I watched Better Watch Out recently, the new one. Yep. I thought that was really good. Great. That is very Great. Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it twice now. And it's still, yeah, it's, it's a really good film. And I was thinking of some older ones. I, oh, I felt Dead End, which I saw in your, have, have you ever seen that? <laughs> I saw that in your list. And I remember that, because it was one of those films I watched probably around the time it came out, when, like when Blockbuster was still, a thing I used to yeah. go and just pick up random films, and that was one of them. I can never remember what film it was. Like it was just one of those that was in my subconscious, and I could never remember the name of it. And then recently, I I found it again and watched it, and I forgot just kind of how corny it was <laughs> and how very like early two thousands. The you know it's a bit like Scooby Doo in parts. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, nothing wrong with that. But, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good film. And the, the the I was thinking of some bad films. I know you didn't ask that question, but um, Silent Night, Deadly Night is just not not, not a good film. I don't remember much about it other than the antlers scene. You know, where, where yeah, it's, but, Silent Night, Deadly Night goes in hard again. It just it's, yeah, the opening scene's horrible. And have you seen part two? No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't line up for the sequel. My, the first <laughs> half of part two is part one. So okay. They didn't have any budget, so the whole first half. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, well, literally, it's, they've just cut various scenes out, and <laughs> wow, it's brilliant. So yeah, I recommend you watch it, maybe with a tipple. One other film I I did what it is, um, wrong time of year, but. Uh, New Year's Evil. Have you ever seen New Year's yes, Evil? <laughs> I have. New Year's Evil. Yeah, that was again. It was just, it was so bad. But that that was one that me and one of my friends was like, we should watch a, you know, come around for New Year. Let's watch a New Year, sweet horror film. And <laughs> that was the one we chose. <laughs> well, I I quite like the idea of it but I like Christmas as just like part of what's going on rather than Christmas is the main thing with the film um, mm. you know because then they're not shoving it in at you that way it's just like oh yeah it just happens to be happening around Christmas and therefore it's a Christmas film which I think is where we're with the lodge right that's the same yeah. sort of thing yeah uh, you don't even see a Christmas tree I don't think um, no yeah was, yeah well it's it's weird because I I'd seen it I'd seen it a few years ago and I hadn't even remembered it was based around Christmas time. Like when I saw it in your list, I was like, is that like, is that a Christmas film? What's wrong with this boy? You thought, <laughs> what's wrong with him? No, but like, I just, um, and then I watched it again. I was like, oh yeah, it is 
based around Christmas, but it's not it's not a Christmas film. I mean, it, unless you want to have a severely miserable <laughs> time. There is so it's, many it's, on this list that do that. <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's not a, it doesn't get you in the Christmas spirit. I mean, it works with the story. I think it works with the story because it's like very much he the father's trying to get the family to bond over Christmas and it's kind of like that's the 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 kind of um I can't think of the word premise premise there we go thank you <laughs> but, uh, that the, was a long pause hey I've got an edit button right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the the thing with this this is my most recent one that I've got in the top 10 and I do think it should be in the top 10 uh, of Christmas horrors because and the reason I say it is a Christmas horror is it specifically shows you and part of their um, sort of trying to trick their potential new mum-in-law is the swapping of the dates and things like that and it makes a Mm. thing of it at that point that Mm. oh she's missed the whole of Christmas here what's happened you know so I think that is a is an important part of her dissolving shall we say so i'm including it this is included and it and it definitely yeah is. no it definitely is um and, and it's there is there is quite a few christmasy bit like when she's decorating the house at the santa beginning goes and santa goes that's a creepy santa isn't it <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the worst. yeah <laughs> and and then santa comes down <laughs> after she passes out yeah I, i'll definitely include it yeah, I love this film so much. I, I literally, it's one of those, like the last one I chose when I came on was a similar thing. I, I felt like I needed to just tell people about it because I don't, I, this film just seemed, didn't really seem to do much. Like, And I I just kind of, I came across it by accident. Um, it's, it's quite hard to find as well. Like, I don't really yeah. see it available to rent many places, but um, it's a I brilliant think- film. It played tons of festivals, which got a real buzz going by it for it, should I say. But then when it finally came to getting a release, it was a little bit here, a little bit there. So you could watch it maybe on Hulu or whatever it was Mm. in America. Um, uh, And it was saying it's coming to VOD soon over here. Um, But I I still haven't been able to find it over here. I had to actually buy a copy Mm. uh, to watch it. Um, Mm. So it it seemed maybe because of like uh, COVID and what happened there, things got delayed. But you would have thought with the hype that it got at the horror festivals that someone would have picked up sharpish. I was expecting it just to be on Netflix, like, boom, there there you go. But it was was never the case. I don't know if it's maybe the title, because there are a lot of films called The Lodge or, or Lodge something or... There's that Tales from the Lodge with... Yeah. Um, I've not thought that, that the weird... I think you're right. Yeah. That yeah. title isn't very like, oh, can't wait to No, get... there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of lodges about. Um, <laughs> but this <laughs> is the best lodge. <laughs> there's a lot of lodges about. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about like the suicide. This is the thing that oh. pulled me in and I couldn't stop watching from that moment. Mm. Um, yeah, I take it from that reaction that you love that bit. It's a brilliant suicide. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, I, the first time I watched it, it's what it's it's just perfectly crafted because she, you just you don't expect it at all because nothing's really happened up to that point other than he told her that he's going to marry the other woman. Yeah, and it's quite a quiet opening, and then she yeah she comes in and like rearranges the stuff in the house, drinks a glass of wine, and and uh, blows her brains out. 
just that little reach into her bag is yeah. so nonchalant, doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, I've got everything else sorted. I've needed this up a little bit. And yeah. out of nowhere. And it doesn't flinch. You see it. And it's yeah. fair enough, it's a quick cut. But your mind will piece together everything that you can't see. Yeah. Um, oh, it's crazy. And uh, the other thing, because I, I watched this last night, so I'm going to be a bit <laughs> annoying with details. But um, yeah. uh, I hadn't noticed, like, the radio's playing when she in that whole scene. And then she blows her brains out and it and it carries on playing. It's so weird. It's like she's dead, just like just like that. Yeah. But life is just carrying on. I thought that was really poignant. It was just kind of, you know, it's just like a, a travel report or something on the radio. But yeah, it's really well done. And the other funny it's not funny really, but um I watched it with my partner, like the sec because I watched this three times now. <laughs> the second time I watched it, in the whole first 10 minutes or whatever. We were like, oh, is that, is that Alicia Silverstone? She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it might be. And then literally, she in that scene, she's, she was like, um, oh, she might be making a comeback. And then, bang, <laughs> she shot herself in the head. And I thought that was just perfect timing. It's like, no, she's she's dead. But <laughs> it's brought on the, oh, there's a comeback. Oh, didn't there's a comeback. So well. But no, I hadn't seen her for like, Batman v. <sighs> Robin or whatever. Or... Oh, wow, what a movie. Now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there was a bit in The Suicide that just before um, it cuts to her being alone in her actual place, when she's just um, walked out uh, of the discussion where he says he's going to marry someone else. And there's this Alka-Seltzer that's like dissolving in the glass of water mm, yeah, yeah. and it just fizzling away, fizzling away, just like their marriage. And I thought, what a lovely piece mm. of cinema. This is like clever what's going on here. Uh, yeah. I'm digging this. But you, do, you don't pick up on that until your second watch when you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, which is real. I love that sort of thing. It's like, ha, 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 okay. Well, this film, like, I've, I've loved this film more each time I've watched it, which is quite rare like and it's those little details i think that just just make it so good it's just and there's so many bits that um because it, it's, it's dealing with very human emotions you know grief and and like family trying to you know uh, uh, kids dealing with grief how they how they deal with it like depression you know the the what's her name grace is is trying to move yeah. on from a cult life um wow, her story and, is crazy too yeah um but you know it's not monsters and and ghosts are we are we doing spoilers in this yes of course, yeah. of course. okay yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> people would be like oh i didn't know she blows her brains out <laughs> she <laughs> didn't what <laughs> um but yeah it, it's and i think that's that's another reason it, it, it spoke to me was just because it's 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 dealing with those very human experiences which you know are kind of very raw and 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 a, a lot more frightening i think than than ghosts and and monsters and all that stuff for me anyway i think i think you know i think this film's kind of got pretty much everything that i love in in horror films i think so it's um yeah, right. it's a good one. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm, gonna, I'm yeah. gonna dig here because I think you're right. Like grief over suicide is a lot different than grief over death from an illness, because mm. there's all that what if, 
There is that what could I have done, that sort of survivor's guilt that you won't necessarily get when there's an, an inevitable end. Mm. So it's a, it's a real tricky one. And you don't often see it, especially with kids involved, because it's a bummer. Let's face it. Like this mm. film at no point is like you said earlier on. It's not like a oh, Christmas film. Let's stick this one in. And, you know, it's not that. We've got to talk about the kids. So let, let's. Yeah. I think they're really well played. I didn't mm. write their names down, but I know the, the boy's Aiden, the girl's Mia. That's it. That's that's yeah. where I am, at least. I just think that that the issue that people have with this film is that things escalate way too much. Kids wouldn't do that. Um, but I, I've not been in that position. You know, I'm... I'm nowhere near that clever of playing a long game, especially as a kid. So I, I guess I get where they're going with that. But if you can suspend your disbelief and just enjoy the bloody film, it's nonstop. From the moment where they they hit the cabin, it is creeping me out. And it's all because of these children. How about you on your third watch? Were you still like bothered by these horrible tykes? Totally, yeah. For me, when I watch the film, I, I feel like we're in Grace's shoes. We kind of rooting for her, even though she's come from a, a crazy cult and has a, Definitely a past. And, for her. Yeah, because she's really nice and she really wants it to work. <laughs> and and you know, there's so many scenes that just break your heart. Like when she arrives, you, she's got presents for them and she puts them away. Like, I forgot that bit. But she's She's got presents for Aiden and Mia and she's, you know, she's really trying. Um, but the trouble is the kids hate her. They literally hate her. And there doesn't seem to be anything that she can do to to help that. And but then you gotta feel for the, the kids as well, because like when you're that age, you would blame the other woman. Um I guess. I mean, I don't know, but your emotions are still developing you know you can't you don't know where to direct your rage i suppose of course you're not gonna um, blame your dad are you because no know, he's the i have to i have to say though the dad is a bit <laughs> seems a bit naive about the whole situation he, he did there was a i was he, he annoyed me a bit with how just it just seemed to be about his what made him happy um yep. you know that's 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 one thing that i kind of did annoy me a bit but I guess you know. I suppose he's in his. He's doing what he thinks is right. But he does seem to kind of force grace on the kids in a way, and then he goes off to work and leaves them to to, to bond. It's it's like really risky. like yeah. It's a little bit risky, <laughs> <laughs> as we, as we find out. It's a bit risky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it is a very. Although it does escalate to a kind of ridiculous degree and that you know there's a point in the film when you i think you you find out that it is the kids that are doing it and you're like i think it's time to stop now yeah. <laughs> because she's like wandering around with frostbite in the snow and <laughs> and, and hasn't had her medication for for days and and it's hallucinating and you know there's there's a there's a prank and there's a, a you know <laughs> it's like psychopathic behavior but I think what's good about this film is that it holds off with that twist for a long time. For a long so we, time, so yeah. we don't know, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if the, if she really is having a breakdown or if um, 
I was reading like the directors kind of wanted to film it kind of like a haunted house movie. So there's a lot of shots from above and, and you don't know if it's like supposed to be a ghost because there's a I few thought moments. I it was supernatural for a bit. Yeah. yeah, I did. But they really keep that going. And I think that's, that's when you like feel Grace's desperation because she starts to believe that they're, they're dead and they're in purgatory, which again, like if people, I know people might have problems with that, but you got to think she hasn't had her tablets for quite a few days. So she's a, a bit more susceptible to, to what they're doing to her. So I think there's a lot of things you can, you can suspend your disbelief because it's, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's a good film. So I'm, rooting for it i think i'm in agreement with you um there, there's a couple of bits so i'm going to go back to one of the early things you said there was that there was a moment when grace comes out and it's so well executed this scene where you all of a sudden you understand everything the kids are going through you understand everything grace is going through and when she accidentally wears the the dead mum's hat um, oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And it's just a complete accident and you can see this happening whenever this sort of situation would arise, you've just mm. made a silly mistake like that. And it has affected the kids, but you're, you're like, oh, I'm really sorry. And you know, you, you think that might be over. The kids snatch it away a bit nastily, but mm. you get that. And that grounds it into complete reality for me. Mm. So at that point, I'm, yeah, I believe everything so far, you know, I, I get this. So you don't have to suspend disbelief that the, the selfish dad is going away for a little bit. That's fine because he's he's got a business stuff to, to sort out. Let's let's leave them to bond. So, so far, loving it. I love this backstory, though, with her where she's got that. She's just getting over PTSD, not fully, but those pills, they help it. You know, she's come from this cult background um, and of course, the kids know this, and that's already been set up. And that's where they have this elaborate plan to like let's let's freak her the hell out. And it just goes too far, and it goes on for too long. As you say, we don't get the reveal that they're fibbing, and until there's like twenty minutes to go, when they're just like, oh, hang on, the dog's now frozen to death, and she's sitting on the the, the porch. As you say, frostbitten. Yeah, I think that's the time to own up. But I think <laughs> there were a lot of things where, I mean, you know, when did they have time to print out an obituary of, you know, that that scene where they've they've made this kind of memorial, you know, they. That's um, that's my issue. That's my yeah issue. Yeah, that is so elaborate. That is so clever. Yeah. That is so mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it. it it adds to the the film, you know. I think it, it didn't it, it didn't spoil it, and I, I think it also just shows how much they they hate this woman. You know, they really want to mess her up, and I I think your your sympathy, well, my sympathy definitely was with Grace throughout, and even by the end, I felt bad because I felt like the kids kind of got what they deserved in a way because they were just so horrible. I mean, probably not, you know, probably. It, didn't get what they deserved in in that sense but they they definitely learned their lesson but it's such a sad ending you know just everyone's basically destroyed but i, I loved it. it it reminded me a bit of hereditary just the atmosphere and totally the kind of sure. like family dynamic yeah in the doll's house as well there's that whole thing of the, the yep. doll's house you know which the first time i watched it i kind of hadn't remembered much about that but it's like they've they planned it all 
in the doll's house, the kids have like come up with this elaborate plan. And I, I reckon the directors must have retrospectively just thought, this does go a little bit crazy here. Let's mm. backtrack a little bit and put a couple of hints in that this is what was going ahead all along because it is a leap. Yeah. It really is a leap. I mean, the other one that's a leap is when he, he pretends to hang himself. And I'm still not sure how he did that. <laughs> I mean, how old is this kid? He's like 10 or 11 and he's he's... He's some kind of genius if he's come up with a way to like convince. But again, I mean, at that point, she's hallucinating. She's very susceptible, very gullible to to what's going on. So you can see, you know, how she would freak out and if with what's going on. But but yeah, oh, question uh, for you, Mister James Chapman. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This. Would you have checked? If it was you, would you have gone into the crawl space just to check uh, to see whether that's where all the stuff was? Well, I don't know where the crawl. Where the, I mean, it would just yeah. be under the house. The house is on sort of stilts, sort of thing. I suppose the idea was that the the kids knew that house really well, didn't they? And she didn't, so they probably ah, they they right. chose a place that she would never find. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that that I I can. I can understand that because she it was her first time at the lodge, but they'd been there many times. But yeah, I mean as plans go to to mess with your stepmom, um <laughs> it's it's gotta be the all most all time most elaborate plan, but it, it's a, it made a great film. So <laughs> this is the thing, it is a horror film, you know, it's a work of fiction, and mm. you unlike it's, it's difficult to to place it on like how believable things are, but I think it does a really good job of it to a certain point before it just before it doesn't. I can't say that I didn't enjoy it when it went crazy. It didn't jump the shark. It wasn't like, oh, do you know what? I'm just not into this anymore. Like few people have said uh, in their reviews that I've gone through on Letterboxd that it was just, it all went too crazy too, too quickly. And I'm like, no, it's a real mm. steady build up there. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think I think by the point that it goes crazy, you're invested. Well, I, I was invested in it. Yeah, and, and it's really artistically done. You know, it's, it's really well made. And the tone is just very consistent. It's a very quiet film. It's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, quiet moments. And then there's some very loud bits. As I've seen with the, the church organ just blares out of nowhere and she like she's kind of hallucinating but it's it also reminded me a bit of kind of classic horror like i, I think there was especially in the snow i don't know I, I, is it the omen or the omen two with a snowball fight yeah yeah i think it's part two yeah yeah mm, maybe one no right we'll yeah, let whatever one it is one of them yeah <laughs> um yeah there were moments where it just felt kind of like a bit of a throwback to to kind of more classic horror i guess it was it was i mean it's it's a lodge that's that's that's, that's the, the the most famous destination of horror films of all time isn't it so it's like, right and uh, crazy kids that is a trope that i wish we would see more of mm. like because <laughs> are frightening they are frightening yeah, there's something. Um, I mean, it's it's funny because we mentioned better watch out. I don't know if we're allowed to spoil that film as well. Why not? <laughs> well, I've, I've 
there was a lot of similarities. I mean, that is done in a very comic black humor way. But yeah, they're both psychos, psycho kids. That, and there's something very unnerving about, you know, people that are, that are young kind of behaving in a, in a way that's just inhuman. There's another film, but is it The Children? Oh, I was just about to mention Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. An English film. Which, yeah. Again, another Christmas one. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. For some reason I thought it was Australian, but it is. It's it's British, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's horrific. And like um Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think with the lodge that you do have some sympathy with the kids because they're they're that's how they're dealing with the situation. By the end, when it gets to the crazy bit, we're kind of seeing it through Grace's eyes. We're seeing things through her lens. Sure. So, you know, that you don't know that the kids are seeing things that way. You know, it could be that they don't know just how far they've pushed her, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they probably should because she's wandering about in the snow. Like, well, I, th- I the, think the ending's great. I think that yeah. Hitchcock build-up sort of thing of like, is the dad going to make it on time to save mm. the day? Oh, thank God he's here. He saved the day. Yeah. And then what it happens, doesn't... happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, and then I've got to say that there's a few dream sequences in this film that I, I loved. Where the, There was one that I'd kind of forgotten about, but she she's kind of pulled under the snow and, and then she wakes up in the in the middle of a snowy plane and the, the camera just pans back and she's just... And you can hear the ice cracking and... There's just really some really cool moments in this film. And yeah, I definitely feel like it's a massive step up from Goodnight Mummy. I think they've, they've kind of, and like you say, I can't wait to see what they do next. Yeah, I'm like, going to butcher yeah. their names. Veronica Franz mm. and Severin Fiala. Uh, so is this one worth adding to the annual Yuletide Xmas horror bonanza? So I've put it in my top 10 for these mm. Christmas films. I think it does. I think it's a great film regardless. It's not even without the Christmas thing, but um, I'd definitely put it in. I mean, I, I might give a bit of a heads up if everyone's having a good time. Bigger warning. <laughs> that is the, let's watch a movie, everyone. Uh, <laughs> that it's not it's not one that, that's going to get the party going. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'd definitely put it in. Yeah, I loved it. James, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks for asking me. this score on YouTube and would you believe it? Isolated from the actual movie, this thing is flipping brilliant.
It's very string heavy and it delivers this icy barren feel whilst it still delivers you the creeps. I don't know how it does it, but I'm going to have a guess. And I think it's because there is this devious sort of malevolent underscoring of drone going on. And it happens through most tracks. It just keeps up the suspense. The build-up is palpable in the film, but separated. I think this sort of makes it sound timeless. Regardless, it's creepy front to back. If anything, I would say that this thing is way darker than what we actually see in the film. And don't forget, the film begins with a suicide. This score is just downright nasty. So massive props to Danny Bensey and Sonda Durians. I love it. And where can you find the film The Lodge? Well, in the USA you can stream it. It is free on Canopy, it is free on Hulu, but nowhere in the UK is this thing available to stream for free. As a physical product, sure, you can get it everywhere. It's on DVD, it's on Blu-ray, there are no special editions or anything out there yet though. I expect something nice soon. As for podcasts, Horror and Heels, they covered The Lodge in January 2022, and also Horror Movie Talk podcast, they went in deep for their July 2020 episode. And that's it, that's The Lodge. I want to say massive thanks to James Chapman for coming on and doing the chat 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 with me. For now, let's move on up higher in this Christmas list. Now, with this bunch of also-rans, part two, if you will, I would recommend for you to be popping them all on a list because, well, I think they all have merit, I reckon. And if you're lying back in your armchair after a massive Christmas lunch and you're about to stoop into a calorific food coma, then you could do a lot worse, really, than switching off your brains and watching one of these berserkers. So we're going to work our way onto this list with a film entitled Puka. It's a recent Christmas wannabe from 2018. It's a pretty cool Hulu into the dark TV movie. There's lots of good stuff to take from it. Maybe not that obvious and frustrating ending, sure. But everything else here, including that earworm song, it's all good. And yeah, I do want a Puka doll. If you're hearing this on a day it came out, there's still time. Get me one. Following on from this, and what is in my 28th position, if you're counting, in the best Christmas horror chart that has ever been, is a film called Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Games, a.k.a. Game Over. In this, a psychopath hunts down a boy in his family mansion. My letterbox mate Josh Lewis from Sleezoids podcast, he said it's Home Alone meets Rambo uh, meets Silent Night, Deadly Night. And that's about it. It's spot on that. It's just not as good as any of those. 
following this is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5, The Toy Maker. That came out in 1991, and really, the letterbox synopsis says this all. A young boy sees his father killed by a toy that was anonymously delivered to his house. After that, he's too traumatised to speak, and his mother must deal with both him and the loss of her husband. Meanwhile, a toy maker named Joe Petto... Oh, <laughs> well, Joe Petto, he builds some suspicious looking toys and a mysterious man creeps around both the toy store and the boy's house. But who is responsible for these killer toys? That's how that synopsis ends. And I think if that sounds to you really bloody stupid, then you've got it down. It is bloody stupid and it's all the better for it. But slightly better than that is Body from 2015. And Body is a movie about self-preservation and when friendships get really toxic. And I mean really toxic. And that is bringing us to the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. This was the first remake, I believe. And I have to be honest, even though I only scored it half marks, I think it's completely watchable. And I actually watched it twice because friend of the podcast and now I would say actually a regular guest he's the fellow that puts the ooh in dude it's only Brad Hansen now you can currently catch Brad co-hosting the evolution of horror patreon channel show called fresh blood which is my very favorite horror magazine show out there in podcasting land we hooked this one up back in July and I just love chatting with Brad. So let's just get into it, shall we? This is Black Christmas from 2006. The makers of Final Destination invite you to discover their recipe for the perfect Christmas. Can't we just get on with this thing? We have to open Billy's present first. It's a tradition. I'm really not okay with any of this. Buying a Christmas present for a serial killer? Billy lived here. 15 years ago tonight, something happened in this house. <laughs> Billy Lenz, the guy that used to live in this house? What happened? You mean after he washed down his Christmas cookies? The ones he made out of his family? Now it's happening all over again. thing before we go into it mm. i just want to say happy christmas happy christmas in july <laughs> which leads us nicely in to black christmas uh black Christmas. Now, this, lives. this were you i didn't know this one existed and then you said what the 2006 one i was like what what's that um i'd seen the cover around but i just thought it was this remake from the more recent time so i always confuse the two 
Um, Brad, why why choose this? Why what made you think of this one when I gave you that list? So the original Black Christmas is widely regarded as one of the best slasher movies of all time, a proto slasher, if you will, as it predates Halloween, and you know it's got a stellar cast of Margot Robbie and genuinely some of the um, sort of most unnerving phone calls I think have ever been sort of committed to yep. celluloid. They sort of send a shiver, uh, a shiver down your spine. They're really like genuinely quite menacing and quite terrifying. And the film itself is just like a, a wall-to-wall masterpiece. And then they knew metal remade it in 2006. <laughs> and changed so much of it and made it like hostile meets Black Christmas. And it like everyone hated it when it came out. Obviously, people that were fans of the original hated it. But for some reason, I have a very soft spot for Black Christmas 2006. I'm looking forward to getting into it because I watched it. I, I gave it half marks because I didn't hate watch it. I wasn't hating every second. It's not until after you watch this thing, when you start putting it all together in your head and it, everything literally everything falls apart there's nothing really that works and yet i find watching it it was i was having a decent time i mean it's it, it's not a particularly taxing watch and i you know i think if you're looking at festive fare and festive horror i don't think you need to be particularly challenged because you've already got the jovialness of christmas all you need to do is add a sinister element to it and you've got a story in itself Sometimes you can, you know, a perfect example of that is Black Christmas 2019. Tries to add too much to it, social commentary. I understand it. It's a very important, you know, conversation to be having. But the film suffers because it's too laborious, because it's going on and using and having to, like, hit these touch point tam, like, touch points of, like, what it's trying to say about toxic masculinity and especially within the fraternity culture. And now the film's getting diluted with these sort of allegories. And it's nowhere near as fun. It only really gets fun in the last 20 minutes when they're like, oh, fuck, we're supposed to kill people in this. And then they rush, they they then rush through like, oh, murder, 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 murder. The end. Whereas this is just like, let's just be fucking horrible. (laughs) Let's make him make shivs out of candy canes. Let's make him be the yellow bastard from Sin City for some reason. For a reason. Look, we will get there in a sec. Before we do... Where is this in like the, the plethora of horror films that come out at Christmas every year? Like, where does this stack for you? Like, have you got any favorites? Is this way down there? Will you go back to it? What's the deal with it? I mean, it's like a mid tier, but like the bar for Christmas horror, in my opinion, is not particularly high. I think Black Christmas is obviously where it begins and ends in terms of amazingness. And then you've got like Silent Night, Deadly Night, although obviously Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is so fucking funny. I rated it higher. So, yeah. You preferred two to, to one. I did. Yeah. Garbage day. I, well, you get all of one into. So, yeah, you know. you, you, half the film's fucking flashbacks. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's those, there's some new, newer stuff. There was a, a, a film that was played Fright Fest a few years ago called A Christmas Horror Story, which was like a, a portmanteau anthology of Christmas tales. That was quite fun. There was a film that came out at Fright Fest last year and came out in Shudder this year uh, called The Advent Calendar. Um, that, yeah. It's a French 
horror, which is kind of fun. I quite enjoyed that. Um, I do like a festive spooker, but, you know, you've got like the M.R. James sort of classic English, you know, ghost stories and Dickensian manners. And um, I find them a little bit fucking Agatha fist me for, for my liking. I just, I'm not really asked about any of that. But Black Christmas, it's di- like sort of in that dimension films kind of saw hostile fallout where it's like, let's just be as gross as possible. I don't see how you can not have a good time with just incredibly violent slasher movies. It's strange with you because uh, as someone that listens to like various podcasts that you appear on, mm. I don't put you down in that category where you're a lover of the bargain basement um you'll just watch the lot and hopefully something will stand out like you'll put up with it but you don't particularly love it um would that be correct in saying no i mean if if i flip my camera right now over here we've got a poster for tammy and the (laughs) t-rex and over here we've got the fucking massive one sheet nicholas cage wicker map so I certainly not a man who um, who thinks he's uh, the next fucking Mark Commode or Peter Bradshaw when it comes to horror. I'll get down and dirty with with most of them, mate. To be honest, and yeah, I fucking love a bit of like schlock and shit. Like uh, the, the the podcast that Stevie does, Brain Rot, yeah, is basically what I would do if he didn't do it first. <laughs> 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 maybe you just don't tolerate bullshit then maybe that's that's it i like what i like and there's no rhyme or reason really to what i like and why i like it so i'll be up there talking about the innocence and all the work of dari argento and all the maison saint of the expressionist 1920 bullshit whatever but at the same time i'll watch fucking demonic toys and have quite a good time with it like if it's fun, it's fun. If it's not, it's not. All right. Okay. I've, I think that gives us a nice picture of you. I think each time I discuss any film with you, we dig a little bit of that Brad Hansen sort Mystique. of uh, veneer away. And we, we discover the real you. And I'm liking it. I'm liking it. I can't wait until we're like three years in. <laughs> my therapy. Like... These are my therapy sessions. So <laughs> this director, right, he said something in the press uh, at the time, he said, if this one isn't a success, uh, I'm not going to direct anymore. Um, and he also said in the same press run that a little bit of it was taken away from him. And later on in life, he explained that. And he said that the uh, the Weinsteins um, put their sword in and sort of forced his hand to make a film that he didn't particularly want to make. And I often find when people say that today they're using that as an excuse so i don't know if i believe uh, the director glenn morgan with that one particularly but this one i it was a success i looked it up and it, and it made its money back and a little bit more uh, it wasn't like blisteringly huge critically awful it didn't do well no it did not so where does this get it right we're gonna I've got a lot for where it went wrong, but for right, just a few things. Where do you think this one actually, we actually, you've done a good job there, mate. To, to touch on what you said about Glenn Morgan, if you watch the trailer for Black Christmas and you watch the original film or you watch the film, yeah, there is a lot in the trailer that you don't see in the film. And now that happens all the time these days. 
Jurassic World 3 is the biggest fucking bastard for that at the moment. T-Rex attacking a drive-in. It's not even in the fucking film. Um, but what happened was in the edit, they did sort of edit around and chop around his original film. Now, there is an unrated cut and there is also obviously a theatrical cut, but neither of those are Glenn Morgan's true cut. Right. So that is why he's speaking about that and why I think he's been put off making a film since because some of the stuff he did that didn't make it into the film is fucking like mad. <laughs> like, I think they, if anything, they, they kind of made it more sensible. And I think it, the problem is that making it more sensible has made it less fun, obviously. Um, but yeah, there was some stuff with like a, like a lawnmower and some Christmas tree lights where someone, a character is, has them wrapped around their neck and they're being dragged towards the lawnmower spinning as it eats up the Christmas oh, lights. That's the good stuff. This is like Home Alone 3, like Home Alone <laughs> gone wrong. But so where it goes right. Okay, so I think the cast is good. Right. I think uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is great. Michelle Trachtenberg is great. And the film knows what this is what I say. The film knows what it wants to be, but unfortunately it's been interfered with. And the version that you're seeing is not necessarily entirely how it was meant to be. But this film is like not concerned with being like a shot for shot remake or even a thematically um, remake, sort of similar remake to Bob Clark's 1974 classic. And I like that about the film. I like the fact that it's taking the base narrative and just being like, well, let's have a bit more fun with it because Black Christmas is very serious. The first original one, there's a few moments of levity at the beginning, but then shit just goes down and it's just kind of unrelenting from there. Whereas this mm -hmm. has got sort of this camp operaticness of, you know, the, the story about how he killed his family and cut up their flesh and cut, ate them as cookies for Christmas dinner just like tastes like mom and all this and all that kind of um eerie spook show talk at the beginning when they're in the mental asylum and you know the store the story's being laid out you don't know about billy uh you know and like the, the kind of interior shot of his room kind of lit with pulsing sort of um christmas lights like there's a sort of a camp playfulness to all of this but then it's that camp playfulness is offset against like truly like brutal violence. Like some of the kills and some of the, the violence is like bordering on poor taste at certain points in this film. And I like that about the film that it doesn't pull its punches when it comes to the violence. So I, and I say where it come, where we're going to get to next is where, what does it get wrong? We'll get into the rest of it, but for, Strong, really violent kills, a cool, fun aesthetic and, a, and a, an idea that a, a, a playful and violent nature to the film. I get confused by the tone, but I went in expecting one film and I, did, I didn't get it. Uh, and I think the, um, the majority of people that were going to watch this like reboot, remake or whatever at the time, um, just like going to see any other remake, reboot at the time, they were expecting exactly what that is and is not what this delivers the billy lens story which is really prominent in here and it gives you it means that you know like this story straight up because that they're telling it and showing it that's all i could remember a few days after watching this it's i, I can remember a bit of like revenge porn i remembered that little bit and i was like oh okay yeah that, that was something and a couple of the kills and also like you say, some of the violence of those kills was harsh. Um, the repetition of a bag on a head, for instance, uh, it reminded me in places of 
like sort of seventies grind films where it's the same way you're killing someone again and again. It's horrible. Like it feels too real. I don't like that. But at the same time, so much time is given to this story of Billy Lenz. I just, I, I wish some more was given to the, the female characters. Uh, although I love what they did with Billy Lenz. I love that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Like the, the original fleshes out those characters, the, 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 the you know, sorority sisters characters very quickly, you know, and get, and you establish who everyone is, what they all stand for, like what their kind of modus operandi is. But this one, everyone's, a lot of them are very similar. Like there's not a lot to delineate between the sorority sisters. You've kind of got Mary Elizabeth Winstead and then everyone else is kind of, you know, all, all this, a similar type of, 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 of character. But also, touching more on that sort of bag over the head, like that first kill with the bag where like the, the icicle stabbed into the face, like with vigor, like there is some, there's some weight to it, you know? I think it's just a really, it's really, really fun. It's <laughs> fun, fun maybe not the, not the strong, maybe not the right word, but it's impactful. There we go. If you want to open your film, open it like that, right? That's how you get, uh, that's how you get people's attention. Yeah, I'm staying in the cinema after that moment, no matter what. I'll go through the things I really liked. But a lot of the story I liked, as I say, I was just confused by the tone. And I do like those tropes where, like, the power goes off in the house. I think it works well. And I love the red herring where, like, a character walks in, you think, ah, oh, it's her. It's going to be her. And, like, no, she'll, she'll end up decapitated. Uh, I think her name was Eve. She, she just ended up with her head chopped off in a car a bit later on. And yeah, that was all you right. get from her. But like, I was like, all right, I know where this film's going. And it tricked me. And I liked being duped. Because it's not hard, but, you know, it just makes me feel like, ah, oh, okay, you're cleverer than me. I'll stick with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they're the sort of things I really liked. And I re- I don't know if you noticed it, but there was a particular image that I thought was really obvious. And then I asked my wife afterwards, she said, oh, I didn't notice that. And it's when one of them, I think her name was Dana. As you say, they're quite interchangeable. But she goes out and she goes out for a cigarette. And there is a stalag tight yeah static tight and it sort of drips and it goes on to the end of her cigarette and i love that and the static tight itself is shaped like a dick which i thought right which i thought oh that's a nice touch that is interesting yeah um and i love stuff like that and i caught that on my first watch i was like oh i just love that and i thought the film might bring a lot more of that sort of stuff in where later on you're going to piece it together but as i say my issue with that was that i just thought the girls were so forgettable when I was watching this, that bit with the sex tape I thought she was watching herself at, at first because like, I couldn't tell I couldn't tell yeah that's what I mean sometimes they're, they're, they're not as good at delineating between the, the the characters in this so yeah sometimes you I got you I've seen her like three or four times and I always get confused like who is what is this who's this you know but I, I, I get it's a small gripe really because they're all a means to an end. You know, how much do you need to be concerned with sex tape girl or non-sex tape girl? Like the whole point of them, unfortunately, those two characters are, they are built to die. Um, And yeah, if you can feel something great, if you don't, it's it's not the end of the world in a slasher film. I just think that because you've called it Black Christmas 
those comparisons have to come in and it's such a high bar such a high bar i feel like this film in places wants to shoot uh, and it and it does every now and again it really hits a nice mark just like that stalactite bit or, or just like that whole billy lens story the way it really leans into that and what a gross scenario you're not given a particular reason and it does feel quite tropey rednecky sort of feel to it and at the same time I fucking loved watching every minute of it I thought it was so yuck uh, so yeah they're my my like go-to bits and why I would recommend you watch the film like before we go to what you don't is there something I'm missing here and do you want to like talk about the Billy Lenz story itself a little bit so the thing that they did with Billy in this particular film, which is different to what happened in the, in, in the original Black Christmas, is they do flesh out the character in a lot more detail in the original. It's just kind of a, a psychopath in, in the house, and that's what it is. And, and Glenn uh, Morgan was deeply inspired by Edmund Kemper, who I believe has been a character in, like, Mindhunter. Like a real, a real Ed, life killer, isn't he? He's it? a real-life serial killer. Yeah. But I think they used him in Mindhunter, but... Edmund Kemper had a similar scenario where he he's a serial, obviously a serial killer, but he, when he was a kid, he was locked in the basement of his home by his mum, whom he later killed. So there's a there's a kind of you know a, a parable there between Kemper right. and Billy, and sort of adding a second killer that doesn't exist in the original, and also sh- sort of shying away from the phone calls coming from inside the house because. In 1974, that was a really novel thing. But in 2006, like, it's been done to death. So they kind of shied away from that. They've kind of had to retrofit it to fit into a 2006 narrative. And, you know, there's some interesting stuff about sort of incest and what that can do to people. And some people would argue that's cheap and exploitative. Some people would say that, you know, it's interesting that that's being used as a, a narrative device so I think I think fleshing him out in that way makes it a bit more interesting, certainly than just a man bit. But then there is that thing. This also falls into the, that, that, the same issue that the Halloween remakes, the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes did, is what makes Michael Myers and in turn Billy so terrifying is that there's no rhyme or reason for why they do the things that they do. But sure, sure. In Halloween, in Zombies Halloween, he spent a fucking hour trying to explain to us why Michael Myers was the way he was. And it completely derails the film. It makes it fucking, one, a tedious watch, and two, doesn't add anything interesting to the, the Myers law. So this, I think, handles it in a more interesting way because it provides a backstory and fleshes out a character, and, but not to the, the, the disservice of the character. Whereas I think in Halloween, they really struggled and made it fucking terribly boring so so what you're saying is you are on the fence with halloween right rob zombies halloween you're on the fence on the fence i'm fucking i'm burying it in the backyard i fucking hate the (laughs) rob zombies halloweens do not like uh, halloween 2 i love it i love that one i love it halloween 2 is better than halloween um but they are both pretty fucking shit with all them crazy dream sequences on the fucking white horse yeah don't care shut <laughs> up stupid oh brilliant okay <laughs> i don't know what to say to that i want to stick up for it but i can't because it is rubbish but i love it um okay uh stuff i didn't like uh, yeah. about this film <laughs> right we're gonna kick off with the fucking font of black christmas 
Like just that font, it made me hate what everything about it before it starts. So you got this amazing kill, Brad. You got this amazing kill, mm-hmm. and then they do the scratchy font. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what it is. Yeah. So I'm having to Google it because I, I haven't seen this film since last Christmas. Right. Um, off the top of my head, and but I know exactly what you're talking about. It looks like um, it looks like it it wouldn't be at home on the, on a Papa Roach shirt. Correct. I just it made me hurt inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good, is it? I just think what what a load of effort that you've already put into this film i'm i'm so up for this and then you scratch me a, a black christmas a, across the front of the screen and it's the little things like that that really piss me off when i'm watching a film like this and i know it is a product of its time there's way worse culprits um I, there was a film i watched the other day that was using comic sans without being funny about it i don't know what the word is <laughs> i seem to remember watching a film with it but like it, the, the the title completely escapes me but i remember was it uninvited oh mate i can't remember sorry the one with the, was the, the, the killer cat on board a ship <laughs> it was it wasn't uninvited but i'm definitely watching uninvited now watch it it's really good <laughs> okay a killer cat on a ship yeah brilliant okay Great. All right. So that's my first problem with yeah. Black Christmas. Yeah. Shit font. Okay. We've mentioned here like having so many girls that are sort of dressed similar and things is very confusing, especially as when I was watching this for the first time, I wasn't just watching it for fun. I was like making notes. I was mm. fucked. I was 15 minutes in, I would say, not even 20. I was like, I don't know who I've just written about. I was getting annoyed, uh, but that's me. So there's that. Now, uh, Katie Cassidy. Is right. That is she the main star of this? Is she the draw uh, for this film? At the time, was she the one, the star for this? No. So I would say that they are doing a bit of a... Um, cow- I would say Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, is the draw. Right. Okay. But... They both they both were kind of screen queens coming out of sort of like Final Destination three, and uh, Katie Cassidy had been in When a Stranger Calls, the remake of that. Um, so no, I mean, there, Elm Street remake, I recognise her from. She that was later though, wasn't it? Oh, was it okay? That was after it was two thousand ten. Um, so they, I would say, those two are the the kind of leads uh, in it. Uh, but if you're watching it, you'd always assume it's maybe it's because after the fact that I would always assume Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the lead. And obviously that turns out to be a bit of a Janet Lee, obviously. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause she gets dead, but I wouldn't call Katie. I don't think you really come to any of these slashes, certainly not in the 2000, the uh, you know, 2000 to 2010, you don't come to any slasher for a lead, but you know, I don't think anyone has ever, so, the well, that's, that's the thing where this is placed in history is a time when I stopped going to the cinema. I stopped caring about all these big films that would make it to the cinema. I was far more into discovering like the underground of horror. Mm. And I miss so much of this time and I can't place things. I know uh, when Winstead was in the, the remake of the thing, 
and like she was the the lead in that mm-hmm. and I thought that was thoroughly deserved but I didn't know if you go back like five years whether she was like still that bigger you know that bigger star so I wasn't wasn't sure of who was actually leading here it looks like an ensemble cast because they they all give pretty much equal equal time and space to each character I mean, the same could be said for Scream, though. You know, like when Scream came out, Drew Barrymore was the star and everyone else was unheard of. Like no one knew who Nev Campbell was. Courtney Cox was just burgeoning onto the scene. David Arquette hadn't been in terribly a large amount of stuff. You know, they became stars off the back of that film. And you look at something like Final Destination, which was a few years before this, Devin Sow was the lead. And obviously he'd been in Casper and a few other bits and pieces and Idle Hands but he wasn't a big draw. And I wouldn't say any of the, the people in, in that particular film in Saw, you know, Nick, no, uh, was it Danny Glover? Yeah. He's yeah. not really like, not, it wasn't really a draw anymore. Carrie Yules wasn't really a draw. Obviously Lee 1L definitely wasn't a draw and neither was the lad who plays Jigsaw. But now the lad who plays, I can't remember his fucking name. So that's not, a good, <laughs> that's not a good start. What's his fucking name? Johnny Jigsaw. His name's not Johnny Jigsaw. <laughs> What's fuck it? What's his name? Oh, I've got to find out now. <laughs> Jigsaw name. Johnny Jigsaw. John. No, that's his fucking character name. <laughs> Who plays him? Why have I forgotten this? Tobin Bell. Of course it's him. So, but like in 2004, you wouldn't have been like, oh, Tobin Bell's in this. I'm going to go see this. You'd have. But now if something comes out this year, You'd be like, oh, Tobin Bell's in this. This might be worth a watch. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, actually. that, that was Because it was a weird thing for me watching this, not knowing who would be like a final girl and things like that. And I normally know this stuff going in because of who is the star, especially when I go back. So I say, I didn't watch any of these films. Like, I, I only a couple of years ago got around to the Final Destination series. Like, so it was so good. Like, oh, how did I not go to the cinema and see this lot? I would have had such a good time. Uh, you know, so my own fault, but it is really weird going back to these things when I recognize this face, I recognize this face, I recognize it, but it's just, just no one's pulling this film in for me. So, what I'm getting at here, and I will get there, is that is this a film that is the title alone that is pulling an audience to it? Uh, or do you think that there is enough talent there that, that people will come? Because it, as I say, it, it did all right. It did all right until the critics saw it. Yeah, I mean, so I would not say, I would say that Black Christmas in itself is not a big enough film that would make, that is, is so widely known in, in, the, in the cultural zeitgeist, in the horror circles, of course. Everyone knows what Black Christmas is. I'm, you know, everyone has seen Black Christmas. And, you know, similarly to when the 2019 remake came out, we were like, oh, they're doing Black Christmas again. And, you know, I went and saw it. I don't know if you went and saw it in the cinema. And, but did I go because it was Black Christmas? No, I go, well, I mean, I'm a bad example because I literally see everything in the cinema. (laughs) Like the fucking Nan movie. Right. (laughs) So I'm I'm not, I'm not a good barometer. (laughs) But like, did you go and see this because it's Black Christmas? I went and saw it because it was on. (laughs) Got nothing else to do. Uh, if only it was possible to do that thing, or maybe it still is. Can you just buy a ticket to see something in it and then stay in a cinema all day these days? Is that possible? 
think there will be certain areas you could. I mean, the thing is, some of these multiplexes are so big and sprawling. They don't know. Or they, they, they don't, don't care fucking either. know or care. I think you can get into one film. Like, it's not like in the old days, they'd only have one screen and you'd have to hide out between real changes and then jump back in. Or, or invariably, they'd either show the same film over and over again. But that used to be the thing back in the 70s is you paid your money and you come into the cinema at any point. A lot of the time you watch the end of the film and then you sit and watch yeah. the beginning of the film. But yeah, you can definitely hide in, in. I'm sure people do it all the fucking time still. I bet kids do it all the time. And I, if I was under 18, I would do it all the time. I would give it a, give it a good like, go. I one know. for Minions, please. And then as soon as Minions credits rolled, I'm like, where the fuck is the Nan movie? <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we all got to see the Nan. Is it the Nan worth watching? Oh, it's cinematic terrorism, mate. Brilliant. It's one of the most Hard offensive, yes. one of the most offensive films I've ever seen in my life, and I don't mean that in a oh, it's so offensive. No, I'm saying it offended me that it exists. Wow. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's almost a recommend. <laughs> I, I'm I'm fairly certain some people have watched the Nam movie because I've said it's so bad. Final question with this, yes, sir. With regards to the story, and it's my final final bugbear. It's the tagged on ending of this one, the hospital ending. Oh, yes. um, and it was quite common at the time to do some sort of end stab. But this one was really convoluted and quite long. It was, it, it looked like it was in the script from day one. Uh, what did you make of it? I know it's been a while since you've seen it, but just to have them uh, surviving, spoiler, and the way it was done with the jump scare and all that business, um, it, it got me down because I was almost coming on board towards the end. Because, so this is Harvey Weinstein's fault. No, he's been, he's at fault for a lot of things. I was wrong about this, right? So Harvey did have a big part to play in, in why this film gets hammered. Yeah, so Morgan's original script ended with Kelly and Lee in the hospital receiving a phone call from Billy, whom they believed to be dead. This scene was in which Milgram film was intended to pay homage to the conclusion of the original film. So that was it. They were supposed to go to hospital. No one was going to attack them, but the phone was going to ring and you'd get that. It's me, Billy. Uh, this was scrapped by the wine scenes who requested Morgan write and shoot a different ending. The ultimately resulted in more violent conclusion, which appears in the theatrical cut, which has Billy being impaled on the Christmas tree topper, which is so bad. <laughs> It's reasonably bad. So basically, then, so they then after this, they ended up paying for more footage and filmed it without Morgan. They shot it in Los Angeles rather than Canada. Wow. Uh, according to Morgan, he was contacted by the wine scenes who wanted some pickup shots for TV spots, to which he agreed. And on the footage was, and then there's loads of new stuff that they filmed. And it was never incorporated into the film and only onto the trailer, as I said. Um, but the ending of this film, it's such a mess. Like you're like, why is all this happening still? Like I thought we'd we'd had our conclusion. We're now having the coda. You know, we're in hospital. Oh, that was a nightmare. All right, you get one jump scare. No, it's about eight jump scares. Like it's like we're gonna start the. It's like a new reel of the film starts it again, uh, and it's really messy and it's really convoluted and it doesn't make any like. It doesn't make like even geographically, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why are you in the ceiling? What are you doing up there? What blame it on the wine scenes? It's their fault. Right. How does that guy then? Because 
I'm going to take it that all the directors that sort of come out of the woodwork since and said, well, actually, this part of the film was them fucking it up. How can you get that successful by, by being so shit at your job? Mad. Because they had, like, they've just got loads of money and they just kept doing it, you know, like... They weren't going to let one flop stand in their way. I mean, they, I mean, the other shit they were getting away with, we're not going to get into all that on this podcast because sure. this is not the time or place. But obviously, Harvey especially is a cunt. Um, you know, that in itself is indicative. They just kept getting away with it. like, And people just didn't challenge them because they're the, ultimately the people that held the, the purse strings. So. Right. I find it fucking nuts. So many films sort of destroyed. Like tinkering it's crazy like as a director you would you know this is your art this is what you've put so many years of your life into to to getting together just one film can take years upon years and yet you've you've completed it you've done your stuff and then along comes this cunt <laughs> fucks everything up yeah and it's disheartening i mean clearly disheartening because mr powell hasn't come back is it powell morgan glenn morgan hasn't come back and he's never made another film Man. So, man of his word. And I liked Willard. I liked Willard. I really did. I've never seen it. Uh, and I found out as well, he wrote Final Destination. So, not bad. It's not a bad little resume. As I say, this film, a lot of people won't like Black Christmas 2006. And I completely understand why they wouldn't like it. But for me, it's the right side of camp operatic silly splatter that is mindless dumb and at the end of the day entertaining in what it, it has it has a modus operandi and it achieves what it's looking to do and for that you can't really fault the film but i appreciate that for a lot of people who maybe watch it off the back of this or or just watch it in general you know oh there's another one you mean you didn't even know it fucking existed i didn't know this one was around <laughs> at all so i've ruined your life by making you watch it <laughs> And I hope to ruin a few other people's. But for every one person I do ruin, uh, every 10 people, I think there's one person that's going to be like, yeah, he's right. That was quite fun. Happy Christmas, bro. I hope you get a, what you want for Christmas. I really do. A lump of cow. <laughs> Big loves and a massive Christmas thanks. <laughs> it goes out to Brad Hansen. He came on the show. He told us his thoughts. That's all we can ask from the man. He will always go to bat for the underloved movies and Black Christmas, aka Black Xmas. Well, it really is one of them. But we're still here. He might have gone, but we're moving on with these also rands. And higher than Black Christmas in my list is the 1980 slasher Christmas Evil. This one isn't as interested in amassing this huge body count as some of the other films of its type from that period. It does actually seem more interested in studying the killer's psyche. And why not? What a great time to get heavy. It's Christmas. And in fact, in my notes here, I have put that it does get a little bit heavy-handed in places. But I've seen it several times now, and I'm sure I'm going to be watching my copy again soon. It's Christmas Evil. It's sort of a classic. Following that is another Black Christmas remake, uh, this time from 2019. And also, it's not really a remake at all. 
Uh, also, some of the dialogue in this thing is just absolutely ridiculous. Not only does no human ever speak like it, but I wasn't aware that anyone could even write in this way. It's bizarre and it has to be watched for that reason alone, I think. Uh, the feminist message, it fell flat as fuck. The story is a somewhat cheesy 80s throwback and I love that. So overall, I'd say it's a mixed Christmas stocking of results. But yeah, I put it this high because I really enjoyed it. And seeing that one in the rear view mirror on our sled of doom... We are going to get right up to date now with a film from 2021 called Advent Calendar. Uh, this one is a little bit messy and I don't think that the subtitles were the best. By saying that I mean that what you read on the screen doesn't appear to be exactly what's coming from their mouths. Maybe it is. I'm not an expert. But it has this cool concept of whatever lies behind that calendar door that you open in the morning will seal your fate for that day. And it has a very interesting ending as well. That's Advent Calendar 2021. But that's too new. So we're going to get back. We're going to go way back now. Heading to 1972. In at number 21 with a bullet, it is whoever slew Auntie Rue. And my simple review of this one just read, if late 60s, early 70s Disney did horror. And one place higher than that, though, is my first 6 out of 10 belter. It's from 1951, and it's Brian Desmond Hurt's retelling of the Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol. Sometimes you can find this one out there as Scrooge. Just make sure you put 1951 when you're searching for it. The ghosts, they are great scene stealers in this, and I mean a lot of them. This is really Moorish Christmas heaven, if you ask me, and maybe the biggest surprise of the whole bunch because I was expecting just boring shit. If I'm going to be honest with you. And now we enter the top 20. We're at number 19, and it can only be Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 initiation that one came out in 1990 and who best to discuss this absolutely bonkers choice of b-grade schlock with me than the king of mr b-grade schlock himself mr stevie webb he's from brain rot podcast of course he is now i have followed stevie's podcast since day one and i found his passion for the pitiful infectious this is a fella that pulls out the magic from the low budget macabre what a pleasure it was to have him come on the show. So, here we go. This is myself and Stevie Webb doing the chatty thing earlier on this year. We're talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. From the producer of Ticks, the director of Return of the Living Dead 3, and the special effects genius responsible for a nightmare on Elm Street 4, comes a new skin-crawling dimension in terror. Bugs. This would make a great story. A journalist on the trail of a bizarre death. Continue to investigate the bizarre suicide. She was my daughter. But now you've come to take her place. A trail that will lead to her worst nightmare. Bugs. They'll infest your house. They'll infest your mind. You need a light to feed your fears. Bring us the boy. No! You have to. The fire will destroy you. And infest your body. No! Kill the man. 
become a whole woman. Prepare to give birth to your fears. Don't be afraid. They're only bugs. Welcome to the podcast, Stevie. This is a weird one, so I'm going to say Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. It's um, the thing is, it's it's Christmas horror, and that can be all year round. I hate I hate this idea that people think when horror is set is the only time you can watch it. Like you can only watch Leprechaun around St Patrick's Day. You can only watch My Bloody Valentine in February. No, horror is all year round, regardless of when it's set. A hundred percent, totally agree with this. Well, it should be a given, right? Because yeah. I mean, who watches Halloween just on Halloween? Like, it's just another it's... reason to watch it on that day, you know? That's it, 100% correct. Okay, so this movie, all I knew about this going in, and this was maybe a decade ago when I first saw it, uh, and I really liked it. I gave it a decent review, uh, and re-watching it, I'm more confused now. I'm more confused <laughs> with this film. Like, how? what's your sort of history with this film in particular? Well, with Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Um, so I did see this a few times as a kid on VHS, but it was under the title Bugs in the UK. It was released as a film called Bugs, which makes a lot of sense if you've seen the film. Uh, and so I didn't know at the time that I was watching what would be considered Silent Night, Deadly Night canon. And um, see, I had quite a taste for creepy crawly horror uh, when I was a kid. So films like Slugs, Ticks, The Nest, Arachnophobia, anything like that. That was a sort of staple of my childhood and that would be plucked off the shelf. And so Bugs was one of those. And I think I think with this, when I was younger, I think I used to zone in and out quite a bit because there's, um, there's kind of an actual narrative. I mean... <laughs> as loose and as non-committal as that is but um it wasn't quite what I'd signed up for and so I'd focus back in once something sexy or gross was happening and so it wasn't until uh only a handful of years ago when I I got this I got this Lionsgate DVD that has Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, 4 and 5 on it and it was only then when I watched that I started to go hang on I know this I know this and that's when I found out (laughs) It used to be bugs. It's a great way to to come to it. And you mentioned a sort of a sort of linear story. Um, I'm I was so relieved watching this. I've been speaking with Brad Hansen about Italian horror, and mm. it was just like mm. I can't handle any of this stuff anymore. I don't. It's nothing. <laughs> I love every scene, and yet nothing makes sense. So to, yeah. to watch something with a sort of plot, it was it was such a relief. Such a relief. Um, yeah, as tenuous as that is, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago was my in. Obviously, yours has been longer. On your recent rewatch, have you, did you, did you think it held up? Is it, is it still worthy? Mm, I mean, it's, it's fine. The thing is, I, it's, it's not for everyone, but it is for me because I, I really like that sort of, quite slow paced televisual vibe sometimes with horror that you I feel like I can send an email or do something else while it's on and sort of have it in the daytime it's like I think it's a daytime horror that's kind of what I like to think of these and it's uh, obviously it's constrained by budget um, of being straight to video you know not like the theatrical releases but um, I think it's a great watch I mean as canon I mean from number two of this series anyway each one is just like what's the f uh, so I don't know if I can swear, so I'll just censor myself there. Um, and particularly the fifth one, it just it just goes so crazy. But there was this, it was almost a fashionable thing back in the day. They'd just lump random films together. And so I don't think this was originally written as canon for Silent Night, Deadly Night. And this, and I think this one particularly, 
uh, Christmas features the least out of all of them. And it's much more one of those like mystery investigative reporter journeys who gets embroiled in this <laughs> coven of witches plus creepy crawlies and a lot of shit goes down. <laughs> I was really in on the the bug stuff. I yeah. thought this this is what is going to pull me in, and and it has done. And whenever I think of it, I think of various scenes involving bugs, and mm-hmm. yeah, not particularly the Christmas angle. Yeah, very tenuous. <laughs> yeah, but I'd say so. I I read up on this for the first time because it's always just been there as one of those films I might pull out. You know, if I'm yeah. ever desperate for a film. And when I read up about it, the director's done Society, the reanimator sequels, yeah. The Dentist. Like, yep. what's going on? Like, what do you know about this uh, Brian Usner or Yuzna? Yeah, Usner. Yeah. So he, um, speaking of gross and sexy, um, I wasn't, I wasn't aware who he was when I was younger. But several of his films were on a continuous loop in my house as a kid, without me even knowing that he's had a connection. So Society, The Dentist, and my favourite zombie film of all time, which is Return of the Living Dead 3. And I don't think I'd even seen the first two. Um, I just kept watching the third one. Um, And it was because of the cover art. And then once I saw it, it was all this icky body horror. And so the thing is with Brian Usney, you can always expect um, some copulation some gross body horror and usually there's a societal comment or something about class issues or the gender divide um but even yeah as a producer his films like dolls and warlock and ticks uh, were regular rents um yeah and i i love his work and all the stuff he did with um with stuart gordon and but i feel like he when you think of society uh, i think he was quite restrained with this movie. And again, that's the home video market. Um, you know, they got such a sliver of the budget. Um, and so you have to cut corners. And um, But uh, most, of his, most of his films have the same vibe and they're sort of unmistakably him. And uh, yeah, but unfortunately, I don't quite feel this reached its full potential, this one. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is a little issue. But do you know what? I think... I'm all in. Like all yeah. I want from these films is just certain scenes that are really going to tick those gore boxes. But I want sort of bizarre scenes that you're just going to stick with you for no reason. And one mm. of them that did it for this, I'm going to go into like the good stuff. Yeah, is there is a, a I mean, this coven of witches that the lesbian <laughs> angle is there. It's of course. fully out there and I don't think there's any sort of like you would get in a lot of films in the 80s it's not done particularly for titillation it's just this is where it's all based and this is where we're going to go from but there is a few bits that just like shock me every time like the unsolicited kiss it's so weird just that that, that happens and then she's okay with it and you think oh okay that, that's fine but it's such a weird moment and like the, these little stings throughout um, what really like pulled me through this movie? Yeah, you're right about that because it's not it's not exploitative. It's unsettling. There's um it's used in a very different way, especially you know the '90s. A lot of the straight to video or TV horror movies they they're a bit they had that sort of slight um, Vaseline filter and a bit sexy or trying to be you know everything was uh, <laughs> along that angle and had the the saxophone in the background and but um yeah this it veers away from it quite a bit the dentist is very similar to this I think because that has that same sort of televisual sleaze angle but um but it does it but it uses it in quite a different way so I think yeah you're right to pick up on that I, I do feel a little um, a through line here of they're, they're picking little things that are going to nag people that people have fears of. 
uh, the mm. dentist or bugs, and they're just going to run right. with it. And uh, yeah, for me, I can I can hardly watch the dentist one because it terrifies me. So yeah, that, that one just I re rewatched that recently actually, and um, yeah, it's just, it's just so nineties. I love it for that. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people will all, always say, "Oh, the the nineties." Uh, you still had the 80s remnants uh, at the, big, mm -hmm. the beginning of the 90s. And I don't see that. I can see a very clear, oh, actually, this is early 90s. It's like before like, ideas were running out and before Scream come in, there's this little sort of gold period of a few films that are just like so good and so different. They're just taking things uh, from the past and not quite there with the, the current. And it's, it's yeah. a wonderful little world. And Dentist is real, real gold for that, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's that little, little pocket of time where it was before they became self-referential, but also it was, you know, it was it was calmed down. It was reined in from the uh, like after the video nasty scare. They reined it in and honed things because they didn't want to get in trouble. And so they focused more on actually keeping more of a, a possible sort of an actual story or following one person's journey, you know, rather than going from set piece to set piece. The fashion. we got to talk about mm -hmm. it here because there is a particular uh, beautiful like lady suit going on and I, I love it I love watching it, it, it but that's that's when she gets the job right so yes. before that moment she's not dressed like that because she's a, a reporter and she wants this big case and then when they say okay you're on the case she gets a trilby she's got a black suit dinner jacket she's got this woolen jumper and I'm like all oh, right so you had your sort of your detective inspector outfit ready for if you ever got the job and then only then does she put it on and but it's fantastic isn't it it, it yeah it's so good when I put this one up that still is going to be going there with it because it screams of this particular time um, time yeah. and yeah and it's such a such I a sense know, of place yeah I, I love her character as well I love what she goes through like there's a, a story arc like which you don't often get in these things yeah I, I yeah I really really like it yeah I totally agree and um yeah there's there's a lot of stuff to like one uh, one of the um the, well, the thing is, a lot of the things I like are what other people think are terrible. But um, so <laughs> for me, what's great about this film in a nutshell is what more do you want? The spontaneous combustion, giant bugs, witches and Clint Howard. And um, in terms of the actual the effects and the sort of body horror, you've got uh, screaming mad George in charge. And um, George is responsible for the shunting party <laughs> in um, society. And they molded and designed this entire seven piece orgy. And I think they had like a week to do it or something like that. Totally incredible. And also uh, uh, George worked on a couple of the Nightmare on Elm Streets uh, and designed, I think it's in number four where Freddie rips open his top and you can see all the souls oh, of the wow. people moving around his chest. And it's very similar when you think about it, that sort of melting skin. It's similar to, to moments in this and uh, society. And that was actually a massive 40 foot chest piece he had to make because real human beings were pushing their face through it. And so George was just incredible for that. And again, restrained, uh, unfortunately by budget in this, but totally incredible. There are always scenes that don't hold up. And <laughs> there is a particular sort of rape scene in this film that, I can't get with <laughs> and yeah again outfits um do you know what's going on there have you got any inkling can you can you can you lay it <laughs> well, on it's maybe? very I I, th I feel like they're going for a Rosemary's Baby moment here and I, I think it's meant to be this 
this kind of moment where all the odd people from the building, basically this coven of witches or, you know, the equivalent of the devil worshippers coming together to impregnate her with herself. And then later on, we get this <laughs> pink lit uh, birthing scene where she's kind of giving birth to herself and it's suggested. Um, it's all, I mean, it, I mean what, can, what can I say? It is what it is. I feel like they were going for a, a more serious sort of Rosemary's Baby homage with that sort of group rape, I suppose. Do you know what? I love listening to Brain Rot and what you've just said just makes me think the exact same thing with that is that you come out with some lines that when you listen back to it, you're like, what the hell does that mean? And you've just said like, yeah, giving birth to herself, I think. And you know, yeah, standard films that you love are, are crazy. And yeah, <laughs> I think the world is better for them. Um, yeah, no. But yeah, I think I think that it's like, what I like about the televisual aspect feeling and the aesthetic of it is it kind of feels like a really long X-Files episode mixed with Rosemary's Baby and a bit of society in there. And I think if you like those three things, yeah, you'll, you'll be great. Yeah, it is a little bit slow paced at times, but um, I, I think that's I think that's fine if you're if you're down for that. Was this direct to video? Um, yeah. Did it have no cinema release at all? Mm. I, I, I think it had one night it was shown at a, a cinemaplex in in america just as like a fun christmas one-off but uh oh, but as but it had no general release at all because you've you have mentioned how some some of it does feel like it's like a made for tv type deal and mm. i can see that and it's sort of disappointing when some of these shots especially the opening spontaneous combustion jumping off the roof type deal is yes. that is that i want to see that on the big screen it's a like, great setup crazy I love that. So that, that's my one thing. Mm -hmm. Rosemary Brady's thing you've mentioned. I don't like that sort of angle where it ends up trying to go. But then again, you know, they've put that rape in there. So it's got to do something. But here we go. This is my major bugbear. Reggie from Phantasm. He is in there and he is not utilized enough. Like what a what a disappointing thing to go through like I hope he comes in I hope he comes in and he doesn't he's not in there enough do you like the Phantasm sort of series I know what a fan base it has and I, I I don't dislike those films but they never I think if they didn't do it for me as a kid I find it hard to come around to them now that's right. not the case for everything but I and I have the box set I have all of the Phantasm films I don't know it doesn't they just don't sit on the right side of the fence for me one way or another. It's not enough or it's too much in certain parts. It's really weird. I just doesn't do it for me. I mean, I love um, Scribs as, you know, the tall man. I think that's as a, as a character and a movie maniac, one of the best portrayals, but the actual structure of the film, I don't think really is my favorite. The fans of this franchise, um, of which mm. I don't think there is that many. It's not like a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not like a Halloween or something like that. But, you know, when you look on IMDb, there is a lot of reviews there. And when you look on Letterboxd, tons of people have, like, clicked that they've watched it and things like that. So would this one appeal to the, the fans that are going through the franchise now? And also, question two, fans of Xmas films, like, is this even should be in that plethora of movies? Mm. And finally, fans of horror films, like, they, would they be liking this? Yeah, well, it's so far removed from the other Silent Night, Deadly Night films. And um, it's definitely the least Christmassy of all of them. Um, in fact, yeah, after the second film, they're all so far removed. Um, so if you like 
those shoehorned franchises where things just don't make sense. They don't quite link up. There's even a strange thing that uh, two of the actors from this one are very small parts in the fifth one, but they're playing and they have the same character name, but they are different people. So it's just what? they're deliberately trying to screw you over. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's yeah. So they have the same name, same character names, completely different people. It's ridiculous. And yet it's not connected. So it's a mess, this franchise, but I love it for that. And each one, not one of them, apart from maybe the first one, um, and the second one is mostly made of clips of the first one. It's just ridiculous. Um, and so th they're a wonderful mess. Um, this, not very Christmassy, this one, but it's witchy if you like the occult, if you like sort of the X-Files vibe. Um, I think it's great, but it's not It's not a staple of Christmas in the way of, you know, something like Elves or the first film or to Open Till Christmas are. Um, it just happens to be set at Christmas time in two scenes. Uh, and um, yeah, it doesn't play part of the narrative at all. Um, and, and I think, you, well, the, the thing I'll say is, I suppose the, the, I'll give you the few things that I dislike about it or not, Please, not that I dislike, yeah. but um, it never, the thing is it never quite <laughs> sees anything through. It goes off on these tangents and then never returns to where we were. And so you're like, hang on, I thought it was going to be about this, but now it's bugs and now, oh wait, it's a coven. Um, and so there's, and actually there's this big setup early on uh, of uh, Kim, our lead girl, and how she's in this, this work environment of tax, uh, toxic masculinity. And she, uh, you know, they really depict the, the gender divide um, within this reporting business and, you know, news. Um, and then soon after that, when she's visiting her boyfriend's parents, um, they set up this uh, moment of her suffering some anti-Semitism because she's Jewish. And you feel like it's setting it up so that she can overcome these obstacles later on and smash through glass ceilings, but it never quite does. So she, you just see her in these horrible situations and she never quite overcomes them, you know, and it almost suggests that actually you need supernatural help to get ahead as a woman <laughs> in the 90s. And then I was like, well, that's a bit of a shame. I didn't think that's where we were going. You need to be a witch if you want to do well as a woman. Uh, and also, yes, yeah, some of the pace, pacing. Um, but as a horror fan, uh, I think horror fans will love it if you are into that little nugget of time uh, between the craziness of the 80s and before the self-referential uh, postmodernism of the 90s. Uh, yeah, and so right up my street. I think uh, what you said just made me think of a film. I don't know if you've seen it called Strip to Kill. Um, no. So it's uh, it's basically lots of strip strip tease shows going on, and there's mm -hmm. a, a sort of giallo stuck in the middle of it, and it's by the right. same woman that directed Poison Ivy. Oh, that's a good. So, so yeah, so the similar thing that with this is that it's fully accepting of lesbians and um, gay relationships, mm -hmm. and it doesn't make a big thing about it, which is no, like, like you say, that's. That's pretty cool. But everything else that's going on here, why doesn't it wrap it up? Why? And it's so, such a <laughs> yeah. victim of the times. Nothing ever seems to get explored, like you say. And there's, there's so many things that maybe another 20 minutes would resolve. But then again, do we want to watch another 20 minutes? Well, that's them. the thing. No, probably not. I mean, the, the ideal thing would be that, you know, she ends up taking over the company and being the boss and then treating all the guys like shit, you know, and, um, and then, you know, you know having her sort of her moment with her father-in-law or the the boyfriend's father and put you know bringing him down a peg and making him feel small but it never quite gets it so we just see it kind of bullied and then raped and then <laughs> yeah and then that's kind of it 
Where were she you kind of in the right defies point. <laughs> exactly. But then she, of course, defies the witches at the end. And um, yeah, melds her fingers together, sets them on fire, and sticks them through a witch's stomach, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, what a way to end the film. There we go. What, I mean, what a way to what a way to end the chat. <laughs> <sighs> Stevie, thank you so much Wonderful for taking stuff. part. No, and um, yeah, I'd love to come back on because this is a lot of fun. So uh, just give me a shout. And there we have it. Many thanks to Stevie Webb for giving up some of his time there. But there are still two more films in this bunch of also rands to go. And we're going to begin with ATM. It came out in 2012. Uh, got a lot of hype but then sort of fizzled out and people don't think of this one fondly. I was really interested to revisit it and I really enjoyed it. If ever there was a horror movie which encourages you just to choose your friends more wisely, then this is probably it. And as I said, horror fans just seem to absolutely hate this one today. But I love the premise of being stuck in an ATM booth after a Christmas party with a maniac just trying to get in from the outside. Our leads do make around 30 awful decisions in this thing. I wish I'd counted them all. I imagine it was actually more than 30. But I tell you what, I was game to watch this and I loved it front to back. And finally, we're going to round off the second part of these also rans with the original, the OG, Silent Night, Deadly Night. But I'm not going to talk about it because, believe it or not, I rate part two higher and we'll get to that when we get to it. Pretty much the whole of part one is included in that awesome monstrosity that is part two. And that's it. It's time to get stuck back into the top ten. Number seven, I believe. <laughs> 